0: Praise the Lord. Lord. Amen. We celebrate our salvation this morning, God's mercy and His grace, and another opportunity that He's given us to enter into His presence. Amen. Let's all stand. Amen. Let's remember our service this morning. God's purpose for this service this morning, God always has a plan. He always has a purpose. He always has a reason for things as they are. We are here for a reason. We are here for a purpose. And I want desperately to see that come to pass this morning. Amen. Let's call out on Him. Let's worship Him. Let's thank Him. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a glorious Savior. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High today. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity you've given us again today to enter into the presence of Almighty God, to come into the very throne room of the Almighty. There was a time where I couldn't do that, but now we have free access to you. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I will avail myself of that this morning. I will take full advantage of this opportunity, this privilege that you've given me this morning hallelujah Jesus. I pray Lord God that all of your heart, all of your mind, your will would be manifest in our presence here today, that your purpose would be accomplished in our lives and in this service. Help us I pray to seek your face. Help us I pray to be found of you this morning and that your great and precious name would be glorified in our midst here today. Hallelujah Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your long-suffering patience toward us. Oh, hallelujah. These things we ask of you in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. Amen. Before we start, I'd like to thank our visitors, brother and sister DeMuth from Sparta are with us today, amen. (laughs) Uh, We're so glad you're back, (laughs) praise God. They're not 100%, uh, about 98.3 maybe, Uh, continue to pray for them, amen. (coughs) God is faithful. God is our answer. We are going to continue our series on uh, religion analysis today. Uh, you have two handouts, a uh, kind of a light one and kind of a small book as an addendum. Uh, we'll we'll get into that momentarily, but uh, we're going to take a little bit different tack. Uh, this is not generally considered a religion. Secular humanism is what we'll be discussing today. It's not considered a religion per se in that uh, secular humanists won't go to a humanist church on Sunday and worship themselves. However, it is a religion in every uh, every sense of the word. They have a faith, they have tenets and doctrines, they have a priesthood. Uh, we'll go into all of those. In Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Okay, so, humanism, at its core, is basically attaching prime importance to the secular, to the natural, and discarding completely the supernatural, which is, of course, exactly the opposite of what we propose. We attach prime importance to the spiritual. To the eternal, and less importance, although not no importance, to the secular. They preach and they teach that we are altogether autonomous and we have the ability to determine truth ourselves. This is the state religion today. This is what is preached in just about every news outlet. This is what is preached in our schools and universities. It's preached in our courts, our body politic. Now, I am going to make some comments from time to time on the public school system, okay? And I want to be up front where I stand and why. I am against the public school system. I am not against education. I am very much pro-education. The system that we have presently, however, is broken. Now, I will also be the first to acknowledge that there are people within that system, good people, who are fighting to do what's right. Good people who are genuinely, they care about the students and they want them to succeed. Okay, I get that. And honestly, the more good people we have in the public school system, the better. But there are also people in the public school system, particularly the ones running the school system, the ones who are determining policy. On a government level, a national level, their stated purpose, and I say stated purpose, is the destruction of Christianity, family values, etc. for this, secular humanism. We'll go into more of that in detail. But I want to acknowledge that education is good. A lot of our public school teachers are good people. I'll be the first to admit that. But the system as it is presently is broken. It is serving as the secular humanists' Sunday school, if I can say it that way. They are taught from preschool all the way through the university that there is no God, that we evolved from a rock 4.6 billion years ago, that there is no purpose to life, that we are to distrust authority, etc., 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 Have said on that. The history of humanism as a religion, as I stated earlier, begins in the Garden of Eden. In this scripture text, we find that Eve had a choice. She had a choice to make. And this was part of the free moral agency that God gave her choose to believe god and obey him or choose to believe something else and see this is really the this is really the crux of the war on truth and secular humanism is is a very successful strategy on the war on truth it has led more christians away than i can count Especially when they start getting into the high school and college years. I don't know how many stories I've read of people when they were kids loved God, loved Sunday school, loved church. But as they grew older, they got colder and colder. And eventually, they fall away. They keep coming because they have to, but eventually they're going to leave. They've already quit up here a long time ago. Why? Because science has proved the Bible wrong. And if somebody believes that, why would they come here? If the Bible is wrong, folks, we're wasting our time. If you believe that, this is a waste of time. And so, when you're taught that and taught that and taught that, However long they're in a classroom for five hours for five days a week, all the way through, mom and dad don't have a chance because they're at work, they're busy. At at church, we got them a few hours a week. That's not going to work. And when we combine that with Christians who can't really explain their faith to begin with. That is a sad state of affairs. We need to be able to explain why. We need to give a ready answer for the hope that is in us. With meekness and fear. We need to be able to do that. We have reasons why we believe this. We have reasons why we live the way we do, make the decisions that we do. And they are far superior logically, they are far superior realistically than any other thing that's going on, any other philosophy, any other worldview out there. But we've got to know why we believe what we do. We can't just accept it as blind faith. We can't just accept it because we had an experience. Thank God for the experience. I love the experiences. I want more of them. But that in and of itself is not good enough. It's not. New age people have experiences. Medicine men have experiences. Experiences in and of themselves are not good enough. We need something more. We need truth. We need truth. We need to understand it. We need to be able to explain it. So this is the beginning of humanism. When Eve was confronted with this problem, this dilemma, she stepped out from under the authority of God. And she became autonomous at that point. When we determine truth, when we sit down with Scripture and start judging Scripture on some higher criteria, we now become God. And that's the truth. As Christians, we are judged by Scripture. We fall under the authority and purview of the Holy Writ, the Word of God. That is our authority. When the Bible speaks, we acknowledge it. We submit to it. That is our presupposition. We presuppose it to be true. Can I prove it scientifically? Of course not. Can I prove the existence of God? I can demonstrate that it's a superior belief system, but I can't prove definitely the existence of God. Neither can anybody disprove the existence of God. It's something we presuppose. So Eve is presented with this dilemma. Is God true or is the serpent true? As soon as she posed that question, she was lost. As soon as that question came into her mind and she considered it, she started judging between the two. She was already her own God. And that's what the crux is. Who is God? What is truth? Is God true? Or is something else true? Is someone else true? Is he God? Or am I God? Or is something else God? Or is there no God at all? This is the beginning of humanism. Humanism preaches and teaches that we are our own God. We determine right and wrong ourselves. We determine what's true and what's not true. Ourselves, based on our superior intellect. And that's it. This thought has been carried down through the ages in one form or another until this present day. Its doctrines involve the following. Atheism. This is the belief that there is no God of any kind. We are our own God and must look to ourselves for salvation. As we go through this addendum, in this addendum I have different humanist manifestos, a declaration that I pulled right off of their websites for your perusal. I will just hit a few points that I feel are important to hit. But uh, they have doctrines. They have a stated belief system. They don't believe in salvation or the need for salvation. They think that's a harmful doctrine. Naturalism and materialism. The belief that there is no supernatural element to reality. All that exists is right here. Things that we can see and taste and touch and feel and hear. The physical. The temporal. That's all that exists. There is no supernatural or extranatural element to reality. All of existence can be explained using natural laws and processes. Now, of course, this leads to evolution. This is the apologetic of naturalism. Evolution attempts to explain how everything came to be as it is today using science. I've made a distinction before between observable science, empirical science, and origin science. Origin science is basically trying to use the present to determine the past. If processes are happening today, we can just extrapolate back, and that will give us our answers. Well, of course, there are several assumptions in there. One main assumption is that these processes have been going on the whole time. Another assumption is they've been going on the same way the whole time. Another assumption is nothing has ha- happened throughout the whole time to alter or change that, etc., etc. In any case, there are all of these assumptions built into their science. It is not observable, it is not testable. It is not falsifiable. It's not science. It is religion. They believe what they believe based on faith. They can't prove the Big Bang. They believe in the Big Bang. We've all heard of the Big Bang, right? Okay. A lot of people try to explain it as an explosion. They don't explain it as an explosion. It's a rapid expanse of space-time from a point singularity, a zero-dimensional object. If you, if you remember back to geometry, you got, you got three dimensions, right? In the real world, a sphere is three dimensions. Then you got a circle, that's two dimensions. You squish that into a line, and that's one dimension. You squish the line down to a point, that's zero dimensions. That's called a point singularity. All of the matter in the universe existed in this zero-dimensional object. And from their own writings and teachings, they say that it basically came from nothing. Well, isn't that a miracle? Anyway. uh, Evolution is not science. It's a religion. Okay. It's their apologetic. And they do it very well. They use evolution to explain their belief in naturalism. Their belief in atheism. We don't need a supernatural God to explain everything. I can explain it without God. And they do explain it. And I will be the first to admit, at first blush, it looks pretty good. When you read through the the stuff that they teach in school and in college, it looks pretty good. As long as you don't stop and think about it. But if you stop and try to actually look at it critically, it begins to fall apart pretty quick. But this is their apologetic. They teach people how to believe in humanism. They teach people why it's okay to believe in humanism. It's scientifically proven. It's socially sophisticated. We've evolved past the need for superstition and religion. You're going to see that in this, their, their writings in this addendum. We don't need that anymore to explain reality. Science has caught up now. We recognize the contributions that religion gave us in the past to, to help us through situations, but we don't need it anymore. It's no, it's no longer relevant. All right, moving on. Relativism. Relativism is the idea that there are no external discoverable absolutes. No external objective truth. We see this applied a lot to their areas of morality, where the humanists believe that morals and values change as the needs of humanity changes. They preach very hard against absolute morals. And yet, at the same time, they sternly state the morals that they do have. It's very interesting. There are absolute truth. There is absolute truth. There are morals, certainly we all agree on that. There are things that are right. There are things that are wrong. There are things that are good. There are things that are evil. The humanist and the Christian both agree on that. Of course, we're going to disagree on what is good and evil and what is right and wrong. The problem with humanism is they can't explain why. They can't explain why things are right and wrong, why there are such things as morals. And they do have morals. Fundamental Christianity is immoral, according to the secular humanist. Because we teach dogmatically that there is truth, there is a right and wrong. And it's not for us to decide. It's for God to decide. They find that destructive to humanity. They find that a dangerous teaching. Okay, so we disagree on that. Why do they call that wrong? Is it because it's morally reprehensible? The things they call right and wrong, they call right and wrong not because they're right and wrong, but because they serve them. If they tell me that something's wrong, I I could just as easily say, it's not wrong. This is right. They want... The good of all humanity. They say that's our moral obligation. Well, what if I say, I'm just just concerned about what's good for me. Why is their position superior to mine? No God. We're not answerable to anybody but ourselves. Okay? That's their position. So why is their position morally superior to mine? Answer, it's not. And it can't be. There is no ought to in secular humanism. Christians can explain it very easily. Well, I'm going to stand before God one day and have to give an account. And it doesn't matter what I think is right and wrong. He's going to judge me by what he thinks is right and wrong. And I can talk until I'm blue in the face. If you can get blue in the face afterward. I'm not going to convince God that I'm right and He's wrong. Because He's not wrong. I am. That's why we believe in morals. That's why we believe in living a moral life. At the very base foundation of it. God is our judge. And we're going to be held accountable for everything we say, everything we do. Now we have a we have a superior reason than that. We want to please Him. We love Him. He loves us. We want to serve Him with our lives. Okay, But at the very, very foundation, we have a reason to live morally. If for no other reason, then I'm afraid of standing before Him immoral. The humanist has no such compulsion. They have no external authority other than themselves. Well, I have the same authority as they do without God. So it starts to fall apart in all kinds of areas. Okay, these manifestos. Some of these are really long. The first one, the Humanist Manifesto 1, was published in 1933. I'm not going to go through this uh, Log here. Preface. <clears throat> I just want to get right into the, the stated uh, their positions. First, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Okay, is that true? Is the universe self-existing and not created? Well, how do we know? None of us were there. No one teaching this was there. Conversely, I believe that God created everything, but I wasn't there either. So how do we determine what actually happened? Well, we have an eyewitness, don't we? We have someone that was there. And he tells us he created everything. They have to believe that it's self-existing because that's the only other option. That's why they believe in naturalism, materialism. Because if there's a supernatural, then there's a supernatural God. And if there's a God then all of this falls apart already. It, it, it's a moot point. Then I can't be God anymore. I can't determine truth for myself anymore. So we, we can't have a supernatural element. So we can't have a created universe. <clears throat> Second, <coughs> excuse me. humanism believes that man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. Now this is evolution. There is such a thing as evolution. There are six kinds of evolution. I won't get into all of them. Only one is true. And that's variation within kinds. That is demonstrable. Sometimes the moths will be white. Sometimes they'll be born black. There are changes and variations within kinds. Okay? There are all kinds of dogs. They're still dogs. But there's little dogs, if you want to call them dogs, and big dogs, actual dogs, and everything in between. I don't want to offend anybody that likes small dogs. I'm just joking. <laughs> they're easier to take care of, right? But they're still dogs. All kinds of variation. That exists, that we see actually happen. It's demonstratable. It's repeatable. We can see that take place. Every other kind of evolution is not true. Never been seen. Never been observed. Can't be demonstrated. It's not science. It's religion. They accept it on faith. And they use this type of evolution to say, well, see, the moth changed its color And that proves that I evolved from a rock 4.6 billion light years er, years ago. Light years is a distance, not a time. No, it doesn't. It doesn't prove anything. It proves that there are variations within kinds. Okay, that's it. And so, evolution is—it's not true. It doesn't hold up to scientific scrutiny. If you look at the, I don't know how far to go into that. I, I have always been fascinated by astrophysics and cosmology, okay? This is kind of my hobby, my thing. And so when I, when I was in the Army, it was my intention to go to school for that. I was going to study under the late, great Carl Sagan, if anybody remembers him. Billions and billions, that, that guy. I was, I was going to study under him. That was my plan. Then I got in church. I got saved. And I'm like, I don't think that's probably going to work anymore. <clears throat> so anyway, from then, now I'm here. <sighs> How's that for a story? But, uh, but it's all I've always kept up with it. I've always read into it and stuff like that. But now from a creationist perspective. And so when you look at the Big Bang, it falls apart on so many fundamental levels. It's supposed to be basically a black hole. I don't know what everybody knows. You've heard of black holes, right? Okay. It's basically a different kind of matter. It's what, what you might call a thermodynamic dead end. Okay? So liquids can change into solids, can change into gases, you know, based on temperature. That doesn't happen in a black hole once it once it becomes that, and I could no the molecular process of, of transforming into that type of matter is is fascinating, but in any case, in any case, you can't do anything with it after that. it's, it's, it's gone. it doesn't do anything else. It's a black hole now. and so trying to get from that to all of this, normal matter is impossible. It cannot happen. Okay. And that gets into the fine tuning of the universe, which is and anyway. Oh. <coughs> I keep getting sidetracked. Um okay, so humanism believes in evolution because they can't believe in anything else. They can't believe in anything else. Anything else would lead to a supernatural element which they cannot accept. Third, holding an organic view of life, humanists find that the traditional dualism of mind and body must be rejected. Why? Because that lends to a supernatural element. They can't accept that. Mind is just chemical processes in the brain. Okay? Which gets into an interesting uh, problem with their stated morals. They believe that some things are good, some things are bad. But by their definitions, they also have to believe in something called determinism. Which is that I can't help the way I am. My personality, my actions are based on chemical reactions Atoms moving around in my brain. Hormones, etc. Everything is predetermined. I can't determine. There is no free will. Everything is determined based on physical processes. If I knew every law of physics, if I knew every law of biochemistry and, and neurochemistry and everything, I could determine what you were going to do today. They believe that. They have to believe that. Because... If I have free will, if I have consciousness apart from this, that's a supernatural element. Now we got questions like, well, what's going to happen to that part of me after this is gone? And that's not acceptable. So we have to reject that. Fourth, Humanism recognizes that man's religious culture and civilization as clearly depicted by anthropology and history are the product of a gradual development due to his interaction with his natural environment and with his social heritage. The individual born into a particular culture is largely molded by that culture. And this is where we start getting into relativism. Your truth is different from my truth. Because you have different experiences, you have a different culture than I do, You have a different background, a different history than I do. Your truth is a little bit different than my truth. Your story is a little bit different than my story. And that's okay. And we're both right. We're both okay. Religions, they state, have evolved. Whereas today, we've evolved past the point of needing them. We simply don't need them to explain thunderstorms anymore. It's not, it's not God playing pool or, or uh, bowling and knocking the pins down. It's not Zeus throwing lightning bolts. We can explain it via natural processes. And so we don't need these things anymore. Fifth, humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. Obviously, humanism does not deny the possibility of realities as yet undiscovered, but it does insist that the way to determine the existence and value of any and all realities is by means of intelligent inquiry and by the assessment of their relations to human needs. Religion must formulate its hopes and plans in the light of the scientific spirit and method. Their religion exempted, of course. Again, the supernatural has no place. And every kind of truth, every discoverable truth will be discovered via science, the scientific method, which they claim they've done. But they have not. They just keep repeating it over and over and over and over again until people start accepting it. If you want to have an interesting conversation with someone, ask them this question, if they're a humanist or if they believe in evolution. There are a lot of Christians that believe in evolution, and they try to mess the two together. I have a problem with that. Get into that some other time. But ask them this question. What what about the teachings of of evolution convinced you that this was true? What scientific proof did they give you to demonstrate that this was a viable way to believe? What what evidence did, did they present you with to demonstrate the veracity of this belief system? What was that? Show that to me so I can see it too. They can't. I've only done this a few times, but they've never been able to. I doubt they ever will. They could point to the fossil record. And that's typically what they'll they'll do. They'll point to the fossil record. They'll point to uh, the similarities between apes and men. They'll point to these kinds of things. But there's no scientific proof. It's speculation. It's hearsay. And if you brought this into the court of law, you'd be laughed out of court. But people will base their lives on this. Philosophers, when they're honest with themselves, people who look at this kind of belief system, and there have been a lot of uh, varieties and flavors throughout the years, starting with the the, uh, Renaissance, coming up through starting way back in the Greeks. The Greeks were the first ones to teach evolution. It starts way back then. But when you look at this, and philosophers, worldly, secular philosophers, have looked at this, and they've determined that if this is true, there's no point in even living. It leads to despair. It leads to absurdity. It leads to the, we can't know anything. There's no basis for anything. Why are we here? We're a cosmic accident. So what does anything matter then? What does the good of humanity matter if, if we're not even supposed to be here in the first place? I have no purpose. I'm an ex I'm an accident. I'm a bag of chemicals and water. What? You don't you don't arrest vinegar when it reacts with baking soda violently? Why would you arrest me when I go murder someone? I can't help it. That's the chemical reactions going on in my body. But they'll believe that's wrong, especially if I'm murdering someone in their family. Which is another thing, why do you care about your family? They're a chemical accident just like you are. They're they're worth about I don't know what the price is now, 45 bucks of chemicals? Just find someone else. Make another one. Who cares? And then you're going to die, so what does it matter? This worldview leads to despair. It leads to, to hopelessness. It cannot answer the basic fundamental questions that people have. Okay, sixth. We are convinced that the time has passed for theism, deism, modernism, and the several varieties of new thought. Okay, religion in general. Replace that with science. Seven, religion consists of those actions, purposes, and experiences which are humanly significant. Nothing human is alien to the religious. It includes labor, art, science, philosophy, love, friendship, recreation, all that is in its degree expressive of intelligently satisfying human living the distinction between the sacred and the secular can no longer be maintained okay so i can't remember if they state this in other areas here but basically whatever's good for humanity is good that's that's our religion serve humanity and that sounds noble and in many ways we are called to serve humanity aren't we That's Christian. That's biblical. We are to serve. We are to seek and to save that which was lost. Allow God to use us to save people. We don't save. But we are to minister to others. We are to serve humanity. But we have different goals in serving humanity. Eight. Religious humanism considers the complete realization of human personality to be the end of man's life and seeks its development and fulfillment in the here and now. This is the explanation of the humanist's social passion. In other words, because there is no afterlife, we need to focus on now. Get what I can while I can. Because tomorrow I die. And I'll be recycled into a fern or a garbage can or or whatever it is my chemicals are going to be used for. Annihilation. There is no judgment. There's no heaven or hell. I can do what I want to do. It doesn't matter anyway. If I kill everybody, if I'm the the biggest saint in the world, what's it going to matter? At the end of it all, I'm going to die, and everyone else is going to die too. So what does anything matter? It's really hard to escape that conclusion when you start looking at this worldview. Nothing matters. And we wonder why suicides are rampant. I didn't know any, I didn't even know what the, what the concept of suicide was as a kid. I'd never even heard of it before. Our kids today, they know people, several people probably, that have either suicided successfully or have attempted suicide. It's a regular occurrence today. Why is that? What's the difference? What people believe. Folks, it matters desperately what we believe. It matters what we profess to be true. What we believe, that's who we become. That's what our actions are going to be determined by. That's what our decisions will be based on, is what we believe to be true. If we believe humanism to be true, we're going to act accordingly. Fortunately, most people don't. Fortunately, people understand that there are objective truths. And they live that way, while at the same time professing it to to not be true. Professors who teach... Humanism will get up, they'll kiss their wife, their husband, their kids, genuinely caring for them, as if they matter, as if they mean something, as if there's such a thing as human dignity and self-worth. While at the time professing in class that we evolved from a rock, we're a cosmic accident, life is meaningless. And when their spouse dies or something happens to their children, they're going to be mourning at the funeral. As if they mattered. As if their lives meant something. Why is that? Because people are not consistent with their worldviews. And I'm thankful for that. Hitler was consistent with his worldview. He was. And you see what happened there. It matters what we believe. Okay, moving on. Where are we, nine? Ninth. In the place of the old attitudes involved in worship and prayer, the humanist finds his religious emotions expressed in a heightened sense of personal life and in a cooperative effort to promote social well-being. Okay, so we kind of talked about this in previous lessons, the generals versus the particulars. In Christianity, we believe in generals. We believe in a spiritual existence that at the end of all of this, we're, we're going to be thrust into eternity somewhere. The humanists don't have that comfort or that fear. They have the here and now. So to get around this life is meaningless uh, conclusion, let's distract ourselves by finding meaning in the particulars. I'm going to be the best doctor that I can be, and I'm going to help people with medicine. And that's a that's a noble goal. Nothing wrong with that. But that's all they have. That's the height of their existence. And they're going to focus on that because that's all they have. What if it's taken away? What if they get in an accident and their hands become crippled? They can't do surgery anymore. Now what? I'm going to be the best football player I can be. And I get in an accident and now I'm a, a paraplegic. Now what? Now what do I do? The reason for my existence has been taken away. That particular that I've been focused on is gone. Now what? Now I'm back to the original situation. Life is meaningless. Unless I can find another particular. Because they don't have a general. That's all they have. And they state this. This is their their express purpose. All we have is the here and now. This is our religion. Heightened sense of personal life and a cooperative effort to promote social well-being. Okay, tenth. It follows that there will be no uniquely religious emotions and attitudes of the kind hitherto associated with belief in the supernatural. Okay. Again. No religion, particularly no emotional religion. Eleventh, man will learn to face the crises of life in terms of his knowledge of their naturalness and probability. Reasonable and manly attitudes, this was written in 1933, reasonable and manly attitudes will be fostered by education and supported by custom. We assume that humanism will take the path of social and mental hygiene. (laughs) Uh. You know what they're referring to, right? Clean the religious ick out of us. And discourage sentimental and unreal hopes and wishful thinking. In other words, a hope for an eternity with Jesus Christ. The hope that God hears and answers prayer. That He is our ever-present help in time of need. Let's get rid of those unreal hopes and wishful thinking. All we have is ourselves. All we have is our intellect. All we have is our own capabilities. That's all we can rely on. I can no longer imagine. I can no longer imagine a life where that's all I have to to hope for. To rely on myself. To rely on the efforts of other human beings. Nothing wrong with seeking help from others, but if that's all I have, that's not going to work. It doesn't work. Twelfth, belief that religion must work increasingly for joy and living. Religious humanists aim to foster the creative in man and to encourage achievements that add to the satisfactions of life. In a more general sense, a focus on the particulars. Let's focus on something that promotes humanity, that promotes the well-being of of humankind. Their definition of of promotion and well-being is far different than ours. Thirteen, religious humanism maintains that all associations and institutions exist for the fulfillment of human life. The intelligent evaluation, transformation, control, and direction of such associations and institutions with a view to the enhancement of human life as the purpose and program of humanism. Certainly, religious institutions, their ritualistic forms, ecclesiastical methods, and communal activities must be reconstituted as rapidly as experience allows in order to function effectively in the modern world. So even in 1933, <coughs> there, yeah, let me say it this way, from this point, this was their, their kind of their start. We're not going to read it uh, this morning, but take it home and read it. The Humanist Manifesto 2 and their declaration, secular humanist declaration. Uh, they, they get increasingly anti-religious, particularly in the declaration anti-Christian. We're going to find that there is no neutrality between the two there is no common ground between the two they are at war with each other they are at odds with one another there are there are will be no reconciling the two okay don't try to find it you can try to find it but you're you're wasting your time they are at odds they are at odds 14 The humanists are firmly convinced that existing acquisitive and profit-motivated society has shown itself to be inadequate and that a radical change in methods, controls, and motives must be instituted. A socialized and cooperative economic order must be established to the end that the equitable distribution of the means of life is possible. The goal of humanism is a free and universal society in which people voluntarily and intelligently The word intelligently pops up a lot, too. Cooperate for the common good. Humanists demand a shared life in a shared world. Okay. Do we see here uh, collectivism, communism, socialism? Socialism is a humanist offshoot. It is a political system based in the idea of humanism. It is not based in Christianity. Fifteenth and last, we assert that humanism will, A, affirm life rather than deny it, B, seek to elicit the possibilities of life, not flee from them, and C, endeavor to establish the conditions of a satisfactory life for all, not merely for the few. By this positive moral and intention, humanism will be guided, and from this perspective and alignment, the techniques and efforts of humanism will flow. Okay, now, again... At first blush, when we read through these, they seem like good ideas. I have nothing wrong with pr- promoting the welfare of human beings. I like that idea. Isn't that what we've been doing all of the 20th century? Would you rather live today or in the 1800s? Anyone for the 1800s? No one. Well, I guess we all like the promotion of human welfare then. Medical technology is pretty nice today. Standards of living, they're pretty nice compared to living in a grass sack with a dirt floor, having to chop your wood, go to the creek to get water. This is better. Going to the dock, we call them old Sawbones so he can chop my leg off or try to bleed me when I get an infection. It's okay to want the promotion and the welfare of humans. We like that. But why do we like that? Well, we know why we like it, but why should we want that? Why is it good and okay to want that? Because Jesus wants that promoted, doesn't he? Does he want you cursed? Does he want you to suffer? Not in and of itself. Suffering is sometimes a good thing. But he doesn't want his children suffering. It's his desire to bless his people, right? Sometimes we don't allow that. Actions, choices, we kind of tie his hands sometimes. But God wants to bless us we ought to be looking for the welfare of others. We ought to be looking to promote others, ministering to others. That's a good thing. But not the be-all and end-all. They want to promote human beings to the point of Godhood. We're going to evolve and we're going to get bigger and better and faster and stronger until eventually it's going to be a perfectly egalitarian society. There will be no injustice. There will be no unfairness. Everybody will be the same. Money will be abolished, we won't have to work. It's going to be paradise on earth someday. And we're going to figure it out all on ourselves all by ourselves. That's humanism. Problems when trying to answer the big questions Where did all this come from? Why am I here? Where do we go when we die? What is my purpose? What am I worth? etc. These big philosophical questions cannot be adequately or satisfactorily answered from the humanistic worldview. It cannot explain adequately the origins of the universe without calling on processes outside the realms of physics. Dare I call it miracles. It cannot explain the origins of life. Now, they have an explanation, but they can't back it up with any evidence or science. It's kind of like saying, you know, the old adage, uh, watermelons are blue until you cut it, until you break the skin. Then they turn pink. Prove me wrong. You can't prove me wrong. How are you going to prove me wrong? They have explanations for the origins of life. problem is we can't prove them wrong. It cannot account for non-material things like morality, numbers, logic, natural laws, etc. They'll be the first one to acknowledge logic, intellect, intelligence, as being real. But I can't touch intelligence. I can't taste a law of logic or the law of gravity. I can see it. I can experience it. But the law itself is real, but not material. Numbers. I can create out of a block of wood the letter uh, number two. There, it's real. I can. Well, that's that. It's not really a number. It's it's just an object shaped like a symbol. But the idea of two-ness, the idea of there being two of something, where does that come from? Did that evolve from the Big Bang? When did it evolve? Was it here all the all the time or? Was it part of the process? No answer for that. It depends on and trusts in our own ingenuity and intellect to make ourselves better. Historically, not just scripturally, but historically, this has proven to be an unmitigated disaster. When we rely on ourselves for salvation, we rely on ourselves to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's a disaster. It's a train wreck. It's a dumpster fire. We see... The ashes of that all through history. It's not a good idea. In short, secular humanism attempts to answer the fundamental questions of life, but fails. It is not rooted in science or logic, but in a materialistic, humanistic worldview that presupposes the material and the natural is all there is. In conclusion, Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, says this. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and units, I'm sorry, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. This is a quote from a man by the name of Greg Bonson. He's an apologist, uh, has books, very cool guy. Anyway, he says this, Every academic pursuit and every thought must be related to Jesus Christ, for Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. To avoid Christ in your thought at any point, then, is to be misled, untruthful, and spiritually dead. To put aside your Christian commitments when it comes to defending the faith or sending your children to school is willfully to steer away from the only path to wisdom and truth found in Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord and needs to be Lord over every area of our lives, including our knowledge including the area of knowledge, including our intellects, our philosophies. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Okay, this verse is not saying that all philosophy is bad. There are certainly bad philosophies. We're going to have a philosophy. Okay, we all have one. The question is, do we have a good one? Do we have the right one, the one based in Jesus Christ? We need to have a philosophy after Jesus Christ. It's okay to get wisdom. That's what philosophy means. Philosophia, love of wisdom. Proverbs 4.7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all they getting, get understanding. And 1 Timothy 6 and 20 says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. And that is exactly what we're dealing with today, is science falsely so-called. There is a real science, and it's cool, and it's wonderful, and it's based in Christianity. All of the great scientists of history were great Christians first. Why is that? because if God created everything and He sustains all things by the word of His power, then everything is going to run consistently. Everything is going to run as it should. The laws that are present here on earth will be present all throughout creation. And they always will be. The consistency and the order of creation is why science is even possible. If this were just a random event... Why would we expect things to be the same tomorrow? Why would we have any trust at all in our human intellect? Because all it is is atoms and molecules bouncing around up there. Doing who knows what. There's no reason to trust in that. If God didn't create everything. Christianity is the correct worldview. It's the one that best explains all of reality. And as we've stated before, not only is it the best worldview looking at it critically, it's internally, externally consistent. It's logical. It comports with reality. All of that. But even more than that, it has power to save. It has power to deliver. No other worldview, no other religion, no other uh, belief system has that kind of power. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's Him. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, You're an awesome God. Help us to settle once and for all in our hearts that this is truth, that the Word of God is true, and every man a liar. Help us, Lord Jesus, to place our faith, our hope, our trust, our confidence in You and in You only. As we move forward, Lord, continue to minister. Continue to minister to the needs represented here today. And we'll be careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll take an almost 15-minute break.